Father God, we come before you this morning and just thank you for, for a beautiful morning, for a beautiful sunny weekend, a weekend in which we have been able to experience your presence just amongst uh, the weather, uh, just the, the beautiful sunshine, the cool, the, the cool but warm uh, days and nights, uh, and all the different amazing things that have been going on around the city, around our community, uh, and we just can see the beauty of your world around us. God, we pray that, this, that today, that when we come into this space with whatever we come in with, we know that, that your power is, the, is strong enough to still the wind and the waves, that, that you desire to be with us, to see us flourish, to see us live the kind of lives you've called us to. So whatever we've come through these doors with, we pray that you meet us here this morning, that we know that you're here with us, that we, we know that we can let go of whatever we've taken in here uh, with us this morning and declare it is well with our souls. May each of us today experience your presence to be drawn into a deeper love for you that inspires us into a deeper love for each other. Amen. May be seated. Uh, if you are need to go to kids' ministry, now is your time. You've got leaders in the back with the signs. Go find them and they'll take you down. Um, before we move into announcements today, just with that song, I, it just reminds me, um, I, I was struck by the, by the line just that, that hit, the winds and waves still know your name. Uh, I know I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, I got to experience the real life version of that uh, when I was in Israel a few years ago. Um, when we were there, if you haven't heard my story before, we were there uh, at the Sea of Galilee, which is, if you, if, if, which is essentially a lake. It's very small. It's not, it's not large at all. It's, like, it's 40 miles long, but not very far across. And so, uh, and so the, that, this particular day, we had actually taken a boat onto the Sea of Galilee and kind of experienced it in that way, and it was dead calm. Uh, and, and looking at that lake, especially growing up around Lake Michigan and things like that, in my head, I have, to, I have to admit, I wondered about the story of the winds and the waves, thinking, how in the world could this lake get scary enough uh, to, to make them feel like they're going to die? It's just too small. Like, it, it, it doesn't feel like that would be possible. Well, that particular night, that same night that we had come off the, the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, a storm hit. Um, and interestingly, only winds and waves. There was no rain. There was no thunder. It was just a windstorm. And uh, the storm was so violent that it actually flooded the entirety of the bottom floor of the hotel we were staying in. They had to evacuate the bottom floor of the hotel. Uh, it actually did a lot of damage to the hotel. The whole, their whole uh, eating area was destroyed. I, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I get it right? That's what they were afraid of. If a storm like that hit, of course you would think you're not going to make it. And so if you're familiar with, with Jewish custom, the Jewish people don't like water, right? They view it as chaos all throughout the scripture. Whenever you talk about the waters, uh, when God's spirit's hovering over the waters, it's chaos, right? And so in the Jewish mindset and Jewish superstition, especially at the time, water is chaos. It's the abyss. So in this particular story, um, when the disciples had seen Jesus do a whole bunch of miracles, they'd even seen him raise someone from the dead, but when they see him call the winds and the waves, then they're like, who is this guy? And the reason they think that is because when they're in the middle of the water, in their superstitious minds, they believe that hell itself, the abyss, is trying to drag them down. And so when Jesus calms the storm, for them it's essentially saying he has power over hell itself. And they go, who is this guy? 
And so then reminded this morning, and we're gonna, it'll actually apply to the story we're going to look at today from Genesis, that it's easy for us to forget that even in the turmoil of this life, we serve someone with the power over the winds and the waves, over hell itself. Uh, and I was just struck by that this morning uh, because that understanding helps us declare the second part of that song that it is well, right? Um, that wasn't, wasn't part of my thing today, but you get a little extra bonus sermon, right? No extra charge. It's good. <laughs> uh, before we jump in today, a couple different announcements, uh, just to be aware of the different things that are going on this week um, or this, in this month coming up in ministry. Our ministry season is kicked off in full force. We've been put a lot of energy and effort into making sure that we have things going all week long. Because as we said this year, uh, church, uh, the worship, uh, community, following God, discipleship is not just a Sunday morning thing. This is a place where we gather to encourage each other, to inspire each other, to, to help each other, to get to know each other well. But then we continue doing it throughout the week. And so we have all of these different opportunities for you to get involved in. Um, Women's Ministry Cultivate is, a, is, is again this week, the second meeting this week. Uh, men's group goes every other week on Tuesdays as well. Um, Keep a, pay, if you aren't getting our weekly newsletter, um, you should sign up for that. You can do that either by filling out a Connect card or by connecting with Anna, uh, and we'll get you on that list. Uh, if you haven't signed up for Church Center app yet, I recommend you do that too, because a lot of different pop-up things, like in men's group or women's groups or things like that, come there. Like, hey, we're going to go see a movie tonight. Anybody want to go? If, you wanna, if that sounds fun to you, sign up for um, Church Center app, and then you'll get those, uh, those announcements as well. Two things I wanted to focus on specifically, though. First, uh, tonight is our second common ground on race. Um, if, you weren't, if you missed it last week, um, I thought we got off to an absolutely phenomenal start. I don't know. I think a lot of us agree on that. Uh, we began our conversation on race and what that looks like, recognizing it's a difficult topic to talk about, but that's what we're trying to do in Common Ground, is to find a space where we know that we don't all come at it from the same angle. We don't all have the same background or understanding. Maybe we don't even have the same perspectives. But we, in Common Ground, we're trying to create a space where we can talk about that and find common ground, places where we can agree and grow in that way. We began our conversation on race last week uh, with Pastor Chase Stansel from Unison Church in Kentwood. Uh, he will be back tonight again. If you haven't, even if you just come just to meet him, it's worth it. He's a super, super great guy, uh, one of my favorite human beings on the planet, and so you should come just for that um, and for the discussion too. Uh, uh, potluck version of dinner starts at 5.15-ish, 5 o'clock, uh, and then the discussion itself, if you don't want to come for food, it starts at 6. You don't have to come for the beginning uh, if you want to still come for the discussion. But also, hang out with us and eat some food. It's great. So we can do both of those things. Really highly encourage you to come. The more people we have for the discussion, the better it goes. So hopefully you can join us for that. Second, <clears throat> this Wednesday, we begin our fall alpha se session. Um, if you're, if you're not familiar with Alpha, so if, if Common Ground is a space where we can ask big social questions, like how do we as the church interact with racism or race or ethnicity, uh, Alpha is a space where we can interact with deep faith questions. Uh, literally, it's designed for, uh, to walk us through the basics of faith under the principle that any question you have is fair game. Uh, if you say, hey, I don't buy this at all, great, perfect place to, address, to talk about that. It's not about making sure that we get you to believe all the right things. It's about creating a space where we can wrestle with those things together. Now, <clears throat> I've, I've plugged this for a few weeks in a row, but I'm going to 
beg you this week uh, to really put your hearts in prayer. Uh, we start Wednesday. Uh, we've got a few people signed up, which is great. Um, I would love to get at least two or three more, uh, just because, again, the, the critical mass in a small group to really make it click, two to three more would be really great. So if you are on the edge of thinking about whether you want to come, please do. <laughs> if you know somebody that you've been on the edge of thinking about might like to come, please invite them to come as well. Uh, if we could get five, six people in there, those, that, that space becomes such a fertile ground. You've heard, you heard Cassia's story a few months ago talking about how that, uh, that, that just is a space where we can, we can explore all of those things together. So if you don't know either of those things, I just encourage you to continue praying for the 30 seconds a day that we've asked you to for the last couple weeks. Just pray that God moves in the hearts of those who need to come to Alpha, uh, that God moves in the hearts of those who need to invite someone to Alpha, and that when they get there, we experience God together. If you could just pray those three things, I'm confident that God will bring the people who, needs to be, who need to be there there, uh, and that it will be a blessed and amazing time. So I just invite you to, to, to please join me in that as well. Um, we do have a next step story today as well. However, we're going to move it to the end of the service, and you'll find out why at the end. So uh, that's coming up as well. Uh, just, just wait for that. All right, let's dive into the scripture today. Uh, we pray with me one more time. Father God, we want to come before you today again and just ask you to, to, to be present in your word. As we look at a piece of scripture that was written thousands of years ago, uh, we pray that your spirit makes it alive uh, because you said that your word does not return empty, uh, that it works on us and changes us uh, and affects our lives. And so we pray for that today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So I hope you've all enjoyed our walk through the book of Genesis because we're almost done, uh, which is whenever we get to the end of the, these things, it's just kind of hard to... Uh, Hard to believe. Um, we've been working through it for almost 10 months, um, and we have two more weeks. This week and next week, we'll still be in Genesis, uh, and then we move into the next part. I hope that as we work through this the, this, the first book of the Bible, it's come alive for you in different ways. Hopefully, you've been able to see that it, there are layers and layers of beauty uh, that, that, that come out in, this, in, this, in the book that we've, most of us have probably read the most times, that, it's <clears throat> that you can read the same story two different times and find two different deep, meaningful truths that God speaks to in the midst of that. So like I said, we're going to still speak, we have two weeks left in Genesis. Uh, after that, we're going to take a little break from going through the books of the Bible like we're doing, and we're going to actually talk about what it means to be a church. And I'm excited about that series too, uh, but that will come in three weeks from now. Um, <clears throat> so Next week, we're going to actually take a look back over the entire book of Genesis and kind of see if there's some major meta-themes that we can pull out that way, kind of to wrap up uh, the, the, the series that we've been in and look forward to the future of what is, how does Genesis set us up well and how does it um, push us out into the future, into today. But this week, we're going to look back over Joseph's story as a whole and wrap up the end of his life. We've spent the, probably the, almost the last two months just talking about Joseph. He's got one of the longest narratives uh, of any character in Scripture. Um, uh, he's, he's definitely on the high side of that one. His, he has more pages than Abraham does. He gets more pages than a lot of people do. And I don't know about you, but I've gained a new appreciation for the story of Joseph. It's a beautiful story filled with so many different relatable things. Joseph's life, Joseph's life has heartache and betrayal, right? 
His brothers sell him into slavery. They, they hate him. Uh, and, and, but it's, and so we get to see that in his story. And unfortunately, so many of us have experienced those kind of things in our lives too. We can relate to Joseph in that way. We can relate to his heartache, to, to being betrayed, to being sold off, to sold off or let go or whatever we, we have in those different, way, the different experiences. And so we connect with Joseph in that way. Joseph's story also shows us a contrast between the way uh, we use our, our, the power in the general world and God's model for power usage. We saw that in the second half uh, of, uh, um, of Joseph's life. Where, where we in the world tend to use power to keep others down so that we can stay on top, what we see in both Joseph's life and in the life of Jesus is they use their power to lift the bottom up, to empower those at the, at the bottom. And I know a number of you have been wrestling with that. What do we do with the power that we possess? Because all of us, to different and varying degrees, possess power in our lives in one way or another. And so we've asked the question, how do we use that? It's actually a big part of what we talked about at Common Ground last week. So another plug. Come tonight, please. But we saw that we were, were, were to use our power to protect the weak, to raise them up rather than hold people down. Last week was one of my favorites in a while because last week we saw, we, we saw uh, that Joseph had been telling himself a story about his dad, about his life, about his brothers, all of these different things. We saw last week that Joseph's story, the story that Joseph had been running in his head, was that his dad had abandoned him, that everybody had abandoned him, that his dad sold him off and was part of that whole thing. Now, <clears throat> we, we can't go back through it all, but there was a number of reasons why Joseph thought that. Remember, we had all of the story, but Joseph didn't. The last interaction Joseph has with his dad is a bad one. He tells him his dream, and, and Jacob rebukes him. We also saw that there's this pattern uh, which we'll talk about in just a minute as well, of, of one son in every single generation in his history being left on their own. We'll go back to that in just a second. But back to the stories that we tell ourselves. It was one of my favorites because I know that we all do that as well. Joseph was telling himself an incorrect story. Uh, last week at men's group, we, 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 we dove back into that concept of the story that we told, tell ourselves. And in my little small group that we were in, it was amazing because all of us had different experiences of telling ourselves stories that weren't true. Telling ourselves stories about who we were as parents or as people relative to others or the way that we defend ourselves or the way that we, that we need to see the bigger picture of things. All of those stories we, we were able to speak into because we tell ourselves these things that aren't true. And we just prayed at the end that we might be able to see ourselves through God's eyes uh, and then also that we might be able to see each other through God's eyes so that we can tell ourselves true stories. This week, we're going to see a relatable thing once again. So I want to focus on two different things today. Like I said, we're going to take an overview of Joseph's story. First, I want to look at Joseph's relationship with God throughout his life. And second, the choices that Joseph, used, that cho the choices that Joseph makes in regards to his family and the legacy that results uh, because of those choices. So as we said already, last week we talked about the story that we tell, stories that we tell ourselves. We pointed out that Joseph was telling himself a story about his family and his father. He believed that Jacob had been in on selling him to slavery. If you, don't, if you want to know exactly why he would have believed that, you can listen to last week's message. <clears throat> but, throughout, but one of those reasons is, like we had already mentioned, that throughout Joseph's history... 
there's this trend of leaving one of the sons out, right? All the way back to the story of Cain. If you remember back to Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel, and then he's cast out. He has to go off on his own. He's sent away from his family in that space. Right after Cain, we have the story of Noah. So we have the world gets, actually a whole bunch of bad things happen first. You have the Tower of Babel. You have this violence that's going on. And then you get to the story of Noah. Actually, Tower of Babel's after, sorry. Get to the story of Noah. At the end of the story of Noah, you remember that Noah plants a vineyard. He drinks too much and passes out. Maybe you remember that story. Ham then, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of debate on what Ham actually does, but he, he dishonors his father. And as a result, Noah curses Ham. Actually, he ends up cursing Ham's son, Canaan. So you have, uh, you have, yeah, I was sad about that too. That stinks. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully everything's okay. All right. I don't know if that door is going to help because there's another one. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. So, so anyway, Noah, Noah ends, ends up cursing Ham's son, Canaan. And so he's, he essentially is cast out as well. Moving ahead, after the story of Noah, you get the story of Abraham, which it leads us to the story of Ishmael, which we spent a lot of time on. We saw the mistreating of Hagar first, uh, and then finally Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's first son, are sent away which then leads to the story of Esau and Jacob. Jacob steals uh, Esau's birthright, and then we see a division in the family in which Esau goes off on his own as well. Throughout this, Finally, we come to Joseph, who, from his perspective, has to believe, well, it's happened again, and it's just me this time, Joseph believes. There's a clear and present cycle of family brokenness in which people who could become strong parts of the family unit break off and go on their own. While in many ways, Joseph's story is similar to those previous stories. Like he was abandoned by his family, he was sold into slavery, he was sent into this different foreign land, and he experienced hardship because of it, which is the same as the others in those stories. In the previous examples, each of those people who were sent away end up falling away from God. Right? And actually become... Uh, enemies of Israel each in their history, or enemies of the people of God, right? We can just go back. They all leave behind the faith. They all leave behind Yahweh God. Like we said, Cain. If you just read through his genealogy, you see the destruction that comes from Cain. Climaxing, if we can go to the next slide up, that would be great. Climaxing, oh, it didn't format right. Sorry. Uh, It climaxes with a guy named Lamech, who said... uh, if, he, who just is touting his violent uh, behavior and just is praising his violent behavior. He's, he kind of is the, the height of the violence that comes from the line of Cain. We see the same thing with Ham and Canaan, right? Ham's son, Canaan, becomes the founder of the Canaanites, right? You may, you've probably have heard of them if you've read through the Old Testament before. One quick read through Joshua, and you'll realize the Canaanites did not follow God. Actually, they become incredibly violent as well, uh, following very violent gods. They fall away from God, and we get into that space there. Ishmael. In ancient times, we already saw in the story of Joseph, they're the Midianites. But the Midianites eventually become 
the Muslims. If you, the Muslim religion found, founds itself in Ishmael. They believe that they are the continuation of the line of Ishmael. Whether that's real or just perceived, we still have that idea. The same is true with Esau. Though Esau stays a little bit closer to the Israelites than the rest, he becomes the Edomites, who are known more for their worship of Baal and Asherah than they ever are of God. In all of these other stories, one of the sons is sent away, and they each fall away from God as well. But Joseph, that's where Joseph's story is different. Last week we mentioned it, but it's important to mention again. We read Joseph's story. We have the benefit of the whole story. We know how Jacob is feeling. We know, that, we know facts that, 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 that Joseph doesn't. We know that Jacob doesn't go looking for Joseph because he believes he's dead. But Joseph doesn't. From his perspective, he's in the exact same situation as all of these previous men. Been sent away by my family, by my father. Uh, there's no difference from his perspective. Joseph's response, then, is more admirable. Because he doesn't pull away from God. Instead, he leans into him. He, he more fervently seeks God in his trouble. Two different times in his life, first when he is sold into slavery and second when he is uh, falsely accused of assault, he's knocked down. Two different times he's brought to the lowest place. He becomes a slave but then works his way back up only to go back to jail and be, in the worst, be at the lowest of the lows. And both of those situations, he faithfully seeks God and serves him well. In each of those other cases, we have fracture. We have new religions, all of which come into direct conflict with Israel and with God, don't they? But Joseph's story is different. He doesn't fracture the faith, but instead is an example of what it can be. He holds, he holds on to his belief in God and as a result doesn't pull apart, but starts pulling back together. Hold on to that for just a few minutes. Joseph begins by breaking the cycle of sons who were sent away and falling away from God. But that's not all. For the past few weeks, we've been focused on the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. We've seen him use his power not for revenge, though he could have, but to protect his family and Benjamin in particular. We've seen him show a staggering amount of maturity and self-control in regards to his brothers. Right, sure, he tested them to see if they're the same people, but I don't know about you, if my brother sold me into slavery, I might be a little harsher on them than he was. I don't know. I may... But we said it a number of, time, a number of times over the past two weeks. If he, if he wanted a revenge, it was there for the taking, but he doesn't do that. So look, let's look at the very end of his story. Now, we are skipping over a portion in Genesis. Joseph gives uh, a bunch of very strange blessings to his sons before they die. Just read through those a minute, uh, and you'll get a... I'm sorry, Jacob gives his sons a blessing. Uh, If you ever read through those, um, basically, Joseph... or I'm sorry, Jacob insults almost every single one of his kids in this blessing. He calls them basically like bandits. He calls them weird animals, like, you're like, Jacob, dude, you're like dying here. Can you say some nice things? And he's like, nah, God's the worst, right? Like, it's weird. Anyway, we're skipping that, though. I'll let you read those on your own. But where we are in the story is that Jacob has now died, and so Joseph asks Pharaoh permission to bury him back in Canaan, and it's granted. 
And actually what we see there is that Pharaoh sends a bunch of support along with him. It actually says in the Bible it was a really large caravan, so much so that all the Canaanites see it and are paying attention to it. <clears throat> so we pick up the story after Jacob's burial in Genesis 50, verse 12, if you're following along. So Jacob's sons did as he commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, where Abraham had bought, had, bought along with the field, had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the, servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now we're going to stop there for just a second because I want to make sure we notice a couple of things. First, what we see in this story is that Joseph's brothers are used to the old cycle of things. They're expecting this continuation of the cycle. Revenge, payback, brokenness, fracture. It's going to come down on them. Now, it's not hard to, it, we have to, it's easy to sometimes think in the story uh, of Joseph. We, it's weird because we read the story of Jacob, if you're anything like me. And then we move to the story of Joseph. And Jacob goes from a trickster in my mind to like grandpa. Anybody else that way? You kind of forget that he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> Jacob, his whole life, is, not a, is a pretty bad dude. He does a lot of bad things. He tricks, he, like he scams people, all of these different things. His sons obviously expect something similar then. They know their dad's story. They know that, that Esau actually said he was going to kill their father as soon as Isaac died. That's all in their minds. And so now that Jacob is dead, the first thing they think is, we're going to continue this old cycle. The cycle of family fracture. Joseph, is, this is, Joseph didn't get revenge before because Jacob was alive and that would make him sad. Now that Jacob's dead, of course Joseph would get revenge. So they, go, they try to get ahead of it. They try to leverage dad. I actually think the way they do it is funny though. It's like, hey Joseph, I know we did you wrong. Sorry about that. I can understand how you might be mad. Uh, but before you do anything harsh... Uh, we just wanted you to know that dad, right before he died, no, no, not the time you were there. It was actually when you were gone for a minute. Um, he told us that you're supposed to forgive us. Cool? Right? Like, that's how the interaction feels to me, right? No, I know you didn't hear it. You weren't there. But I swear dad said it, right? Now, you could probably we can probably understand why they did that. But I want you to notice Joseph's response. When they come to him with this clearly see through uh, protection for themselves. He weeps. Now, I know the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he cries, but most commentators agree it's most likely he cries because he knows they're full of it. He can see through this. It's not that great of a cover. He weeps because his brothers still don't know him. They still don't trust him. They're still afraid of him which we can understand in light of how they understand the world to work, the history that they come from, this cycle of fracture and brokenness. But as we've already seen, Joseph isn't interested in doing things the way they've already always been done. 
He's not interested in revenge. He's not interested in continuing this cycle that's, that's, that's worked through the line of Abraham. He isn't interested in fracturing, but instead wants to bring the family back together. And we see that in verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended, for good to, for it, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for your children. And he reassured them and spoke to them kindly. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Mekir, son of Manasseh, who, who were placed at, at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brother, his brother Israelites, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land, to the land promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph breaks a cycle that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis. He leans into the, his relationship with God, and because of that, Israel finally starts functioning in the way that it was supposed to. If you look at God's original blessing to Abraham way back in the day, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then you, Abraham, and your descendants will become a blessing to the rest of the earth. We see that throughout the Old Testament that the purpose and mission of Israel was always to draw people together. It was to, it was, it was to take the blessing that God had given them and show the rest of the world what that could look like. God refers to Israel as a kingdom of priests. The way priests work in the, old, in the ancient world is they represented God to the people. When you look at the priest, you're supposed to see a little image of God. They're going to help God communicate to you and you communicate back to God. What God says about Israel is you all are supposed to be that. When the world sees you, they're supposed to see what I'm like. What, my, what, the, what the kind of life that I desire for you looks like. That was the original blessing that God gives to Abraham. But as we saw in the story of Abraham, with Hagar and Ishmael, we see this division, not unity. The nations of the world aren't brought back together and blessed by Abraham. Like we saw in the story of even the relationship between Abraham and Isaac, we see fracture. But then also with Isaac's relationship between Jacob and Esau, fracture again. We see at the beginning of Joseph's story, what it looks like is going to continue that cycle of fracture in which families break apart Rather than being a blessing to the world, what they're showing is that their following of God keeps separating and breaking apart until Joseph decides to do something different. He's sent away just like his other brothers were. He's put in his, the exact same position to make the exact same kinds of decisions that they had to make, but instead of abandoning God, he leans in. And as a result, Egypt is blessed because of him, which is what Israel is supposed to do, and you will bless the world around you. Egypt gets, in, gets to see what God is like because of what Joseph chooses, both in God's power, right? Obviously, interpreting the dream so that now Egypt is feeding the world, which, by the way, also, everybody who comes to get food has to go to Joseph and wonder how they still have food, and I'm sure they're told the story of how Joseph got his position. Joseph 
breaks the cycle by leaning into God, and all of a sudden the mission of Israel is starting to be fulfilled. You will be a blessing. And we see it in Joseph's life. We see Joseph represent what the power of God looks like and what following God in that way can do. He does it because he chooses to break the cycle. But then he even goes one step further than that. It's one thing to, get to, give it, to lean into God and have that kind of relationship there. But Joseph is faced with another choice, as we've seen over the last few weeks. Is he going to break the cycle of these personal fractured relationships that we've seen throughout the, the, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is he going to use his power for revenge to separate his family? Because he could, and he could just take, carry the line on his own. Or, it, as we, or is he going to do what he actually did? And in this space, say, hey guys, we're not going to do things like we used to. You don't have to be worried about me killing you now that Jacob's dead. That's not how this is going to work anymore. Actually, I'd like you guys to all come be with me again in Egypt and let me take care of you and your children. For the first time, rather than separating and going off in different ways, Joseph says, let's come back together. Let's unite in the way that God always intended and let's bless the world together. Choosing to follow God to do the right thing can break cycles. Can break cycles of our belief systems and who God is, can also break division and fracture cycles we see in our lives. The entire future of Israel is changed because Joseph decides to do things differently. The trajectory of his life is changed, but, then, but also the trajectory of his brothers' lives and their families is changed. It couldn't have been easy for him to set aside those things. And yet by doing so, a cycle of fracturing is turned into a, is turned into a moment of unity. We have the same choice Joseph did. We call it legacy. What are we going to leave behind? Are we going to continue to perpetuate the cycles that we find ourselves in? We know, we even know based on science now, that, that the, the experience is that if you experience har- trauma and hardship in your life, it's more likely that you're going to perpetuate that same kind of trauma in your children's lives if we're not aware of it. We can continue the cycles that we found ourselves in. Or we become aware of them and lean into God and work to break them. Maybe it's a cycle of addiction. Maybe there's addiction in your life and you know that you're predisposed to being susceptible to that. There's too many families in which dad was, so was grandpa, so was great-grandpa. And that's just the way it goes, so it continues to move forward. If you're in that cycle, you have an option. You can perpetuate the old cycle of things, or you can choose to lean into God and break it. Not for yourself only, but also for the generations that come after. Maybe it's a cycle of divorce. I know there are extenuating circumstances, and it isn't meant to to judge or make make you feel down on yourselves or anything like that, but we know that all divorce is painful. That severing, that breaking, whether it was even whether it was necessary or not, hurts. And we also realize that can be cyclical as well. Perhaps you're in a space where, all, where that's been the cycle in your family. And now you're in a space where you're experiencing hardship in your marriage too. 
You have a choice. You can perpetuate the cycle that you've seen throughout your family, or you can lean into God, might be hard work, was for Joseph, and break that cycle for yourself, but also for the people who see you in the way that Joseph did. Maybe it's a cycle of absenteeism or abuse. There are so many things in our lives that we can see just cycle. Maybe there are so many unhealthy rhythms and cycles that we find ourselves in because that's what we know and grew up with. What we see in the story of Joseph, I think it's probably part of the reason that he's given so much page time, is that, that those cycles don't need to continue. That even if it's been generation after generation after generation, going all the way back to Cain, there is an opportunity to break that. That, that if we make the first choice that Joseph made, and I think that is the most important first choice, choosing to do things God's way instead, we can still flourish even in the midst of our cycle of brokenness. What we'll find in the midst of that is as we develop our love for God in that cycle, in Joseph's life, then it goes out into a love for other. Because he leaned into God and his faithfulness in Egypt, he's in a position then to share that, that blessing with his brothers later on. And rather seeking revenge can bless them instead and empower them and raise them up. Joseph leaves a legacy that changes the course of Israel's history because he does the hard work to lean into God to break the cycles that he's lived into. Our challenge today is twofold. First, what cycles have we been in? And we all have some. Things that we do because of either subconsciously learned because of the way we were brought up or because we've fallen into a habit or a rhythm. What cycles do you have in your life that you know that need to break? And then second, what are you going to do about it? Because we can know they might be there, but then still do nothing about it. Sometimes even some of those smallest changes can change the trajectory of someone's life significantly. So I actually want to close today by telling some of those stories. We have the, we have, we have, you have the, by, by breaking certain cycles, you have the power to change the trajectory of someone's life. We're, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about one of the ministries here in which, and, we're, and the next step story will be about that, in which we have the opportunity to just slightly change the trajectory of someone's life, and that's hand, in Hand to Hand. If you're not familiar with Hand to Hand, what, what, what it is is a program that feeds kids on the weekends. There are certain kids that, at East Elementary and at South Elementary who have to go home on the weekends and not have food. And that's, often that tends to be a cycle, Right? There, there, there are markers that you can see inside of those lives. You're going, okay, so there's a cycle of maybe poverty or, or absenteeism, whatever it might be in those spaces. Or sometimes it's just a hard, some people have fallen on hard times. That can be a thing too. But all science will say if, they, if you don't have your basic needs met, everything else is harder. If you don't know where your next food meal is coming from, learning math is harder. If, you don't, if you're hungry, focusing on learning is harder. Getting the next step up is harder. And so by us being able to provide some food for the weekend, so that's not a worry anymore, hopefully, and in many cases, what we're going to be doing is shifting the trajectory of someone's life by just a little bit. Hopefully giving them a little bit more safety, a little more dignity, a little bit more energy so they can learn and hopefully help break whatever cycles they found themselves in.
That kind of work in which we, we work to break the cycles that we see around us can have a huge insignificant impact on our lives. And to, to kind of emphasize that point first, I want to show you a little video on hand-to-hand here, and then I'm going to invite Andrea Workema to come up and tell her story and her experience with that as well.